Amen. Okay, so we are starting the summer quarter, 2023, and we'll be going through Ezekiel and Daniel this quarter. So lesson one of the summer quarter is the beginning of Ezekiel's ministry, and we're covering Ezekiel chapters 1 through 7. So Lord, we thank you. We just finished looking at the eternal state, and now we're going backwards in time. 2,600 years to when Ezekiel prophesied from Babylon. And your word is good for eternity at any time. And so we pray for discernment. Ezekiel has a lot of uh, uh, challenging parts. We pray that you'd help us to understand them as you intended and that it would help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. So the quarterly only covers chapters 2 and 3. I will be doing a lot of summarizing here. So the author of this book is Ezekiel. His name means God will strengthen or God will harden. That's what Ezekiel means in the Hebrew. Ezekiel was a priest. So he's one of three priests that wrote scripture. The other was Jeremiah. And then Zechariah, these they were all priests. So the first date of his prophecy, Ezekiel has uh, excellent dating to the day within it. And so Ezekiel began to prophesy on July 31st, 592 B.C. Remember the... Uh, Israelites were taken out into captivity in three waves. First was in 605 B.C., that's when Daniel went. Second was in 597 B.C., that is when Jehoiachin and Ezekiel went. Then the last, where they totally destroyed the city, was 586 B.C. So Ezekiel was in the second wave. Uh, the last dated prophecy of Ezekiel was on March 26. 571 B.C. So Ezekiel prophesied over 22 years. The place this occurred was on the river Kibar, which is the Grand Canal of Babylon. So the Euphrates River goes through the city of Babylon. They dug a canal. At north of the city it went out, it went to the east of the city, and then re-entered the Euphrates. And this was uh, also called the Kibar River. That's where he was. The structure of Ezekiel, um, the, the broad outline I wrote on the board, so chapters 1 through 24 are about judgment on Judah. Chapters 25 through 32 are judgment on the surrounding nations. And then chapters 33 through 48 are the restoration of Israel and Judah. And that is... Uh, the whole thing's prophetic because he, he was prophesying before the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. So it's all predictive. So in chapter 1, we'll just uh, I'll just do an overview. This is in Ezekiel's 30th year. So he was uh, 30 years old when he began to prophesy. He saw the uh, throne chariot of God. 
which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And Jesus was the figure on the throne. He looked like fire. There were four living beings with four faces, human in front, lion on the right, calf on the left, eagle on the back. They were standing on two legs, straight like a man, but their feet were like calves. They had four wings, with two touching the other two, forming a box. And then with their other two wings, they covered their bodies because they were close to the Lord. They had associated wheels with eyes that seemed to intersect each other. Reading this is hard to imagine in your mind, you know. But um, so, And they did not turn when they moved in different directions. They would just, they would just move without turning. There was an expanse like crystal over the cherubim. You know, this uh, reminds us of Revelation chapter 4, which we just went over. I'm sure these are the same uh, angels. Uh, the throne was azure blue, and the figure above the throne, from the loins up, he looked like glowing metal, and from the loins down, he looked like fire and he was surrounded by a rainbow. So that's chapter 1. And imagine what Ezekiel did when he saw this. He fell down on his face. That's what happens when you see God. Okay, so that's chapter 1. Yeah, it's. I mean, the more you study the Bible, the more fascinating it is. It is very fascinating. So yeah, the Old Testament it has is dated. It has many dates. The, the church does not have dates. If you look through the epistles, there's no dates. As uh, We don't know when the rapture is going to come. There's no date, you know. But um, he was very specific, yeah. So, but anyway, so now the quarterly dives in, in uh, chapter 2 of Ezekiel. So section A is Ezekiel's call as a prophet, and that's verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. So can I get somebody to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2? Yeah, so verses 1 and 2, he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So if God calls you to do something... He will provide the power to do it. Remember, Ezekiel is on his face. And he said, Son of man, stand on your feet. And the Spirit entered him and stood him up. So, um, and that is how we live. We live in the power of the Spirit. The Lord asks us to do something. Uh, he will give us the power to do it. And, you know, as you'll notice going through this, that the Lord does this, uh, the Spirit comes into Ezekiel intermittently here and there. It will say, the Spirit entered me and, you know, did this, or moved me or pulled me by the hair, something like that. So it is different in the Old Testament than it is with us. 
with us, the Spirit comes into us at the moment of belief in Jesus, and he stays eternally. He never leaves. So the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit's ministry is different to the Old Testament saints than to us. So in verses 3 and 4, Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. So God sent Ezekiel to the children of Israel in Babylon, because he was in Babylon, with a message. Who does God send us to with a message? Does he send us to people with a message? Yes, he does. Who does he send us to? He sends us to everyone, right? That's Matthew 28. 18 through 20. This is, we call it the Great Commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He also gives us power to do this. And that is spoken of in Ephesians 3.16, that he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So the Lord has told us to tell people about Jesus, so he will give us the power to do that. And when we approach the unbelieving, we need to tell them three things. We need to tell them what the Holy Spirit tells them. The Holy Spirit tells them that they are in sin. And how are they in sin? Because of one thing, they do not believe in Jesus. That is the singular sin that the Holy Spirit is convincing convincing the uh, unbelieving world of. We need to tell them about righteousness Jesus' righteousness is acceptable to the Father, and we need it if we are going to be acceptable to the Father. He grants us his righteousness at the point of belief. And the other thing the Holy Spirit convicts the unbelieving world of is judgment. If they uh, do not agree that it is a sin to not believe in Jesus, if they do not agree that they need his righteousness, then the judgment uh, that is coming on Satan will come on them. And that is the lake of fire. So that is how we should tailor our message. We don't have to talk to them about um, cultural issues or their um, conduct. That is irrelevant to an unsaved person. The only thing that is relevant is the fact that they do not believe in Jesus. That is the only thing that's relevant. So um, in verse 5, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So again, this is just like Jeremiah and Isaiah. 
the Lord is telling them <laughs> to go talk to them and that also telling them that the audience will not listen to him. So that's, uh, that's a little discouraging. So the, our mes- we're the messenger, and our job is only to give the message. What people do with the message is up to them. So, and then verse, you know, verse 7 says, You shall speak my words to them whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. So verse 8, Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you, do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. We are to be countercultural. And how do we do that? By receiving God's word and meditating on it. That's how we're that's how we become countercultural. We receive God's word, as he told Ezekiel to do, and we meditate on it. That's what this uh metaphor of eating the scroll is we take it in and we gnaw on it. We gnaw on it mentally. Like a bone. We gnaw it like a bone. So then then I looked and behold a scroll was extended to me and lo a scroll was in it when he spread it out before me. It was written on the front and back and written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. So this was a message of judgment to Judah. And that is spelled out in not just to Judah, but to Judah and the surrounding nations. And that's spelled out in chapters 4 through 32. Okay, so that is Ezekiel's call. Any comments about that? Okay, so next we're on to section B, Ezekiel's commission. And that is chapter 3, 1 through 15, I'll read that section. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words which I will speak to you, and listen closely. Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them, and tell them, whether they listen or not, thus says the Lord God. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me, Blessed be the glory of the Lord in his place. And I heard the sound of the wings of the living beings touching one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, even a great rumbling sound. 
So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went embittered in the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. Then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Kibar at Tel Abib, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. Okay, so what God told him at the beginning of chapter 3, he said, Eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So on this scroll was information from God that he was going to, he should learn and think about and then transmit it to the exiles in Babylon. And notice what he said about it. In verse 3, he said, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with a scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Now, David said this also in Psalm 19.10. Psalm 19.10 is a pretty uh, popular psalm. It's a psalm about God's revelation of himself in nature and God's special revelation in his word. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So David called God's word sweet. Uh, Jeremiah, who also had uh, messages of judgment, called God's word sweet. And that is in Jeremiah 15 and verse 6. That's not right. It's verse 16. 15 verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So God's word make, it does contain words of judgment, uh, sometimes very severe judgment, but as we take it in, it is sweet to us. Yeah, John also said that about God's word. We just finished this book, Revelation 10 and 9 and 10. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book, and he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So John differentiates between the word of God itself and then what it is saying, which is severe judgment in Revelation. So um, God's word is sweet. God's word is uh, helpful to us because God's word gives us hope. It tells of judgment, but it tells of restoration. And it also tells how we can be protected through judgment as we're living this life. And uh, so that is what makes it sweet. So then in verses 4 through 6, God tells Ezekiel that he will not make him learn a different language for this message. Um, the mission field will not require learning a new language. He's going to his own people in his own language and telling them this. 
Now, do you think it is easier to talk to people in your own language that in your own culture that you know than to go to someplace else and learn a language and tell them? What do you, what do you think is easier? They're both pretty challenging, yeah. Yeah, sometimes the closer people are, the harder it is to do this. I think it's easier to talk to strangers about the Lord than people I know or my family. So, um, but Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel's a lot like the United States or Israel. The United States was based, uh, founded by Christians and was uh, in 1892, the Supreme Court ruled nine to zero that the United States was a Christian nation by all its historical precedents and things like that. And right now, the United States has become like Israel in judgment and um, because we've totally fallen away from that foundation. And God is sending Ezekiel to his countrymen, the uh, other exiles, to tell them about judgment And then verse 7, it says, Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. This is a prophecy from God to Ezekiel, since they're not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. So God says, I want you to tell them they will not listen to you. I want you to tell them anyway. And for many people, that's true about us. God wants us to tell them they may not listen. But God still wants us to tell them anyway, because we don't know if they'll listen or not. We have no idea. So, um, so verse 8 and 9, this is interesting, and I appreciate this. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them though they're a rebellious house. So what is he saying here? He's saying, be firm. The Lord will empower Ezekiel's determination so it will be greater than theirs. His determination will be greater than these obstinate, rebellious people. Now, does that mean he needs to be nasty? No. It means he is to be unyielding, and that's what his name means. His name means God will harden, or God will strengthen. That's what Ezekiel means. So that's interesting. Um, so he says, I'm going to give you a tough job, but I'm going to make you tougher <laughs> than the job is. So that's another example of God providing the power to do what he asks you to do. He will provide the power. Yes, pray that, yeah, and we, we need that. We need that prayer to be bold, to be willing to speak up and tell people about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, um, and then verse 10 Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words which I will speak to you and listen closely. So we want to be very careful with God's word. 
listen closely. And that is what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. And this was one of our memory verses a couple months ago, I think. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And that's part of what we do when we come to church. We learn, we are learning how to accurately handle the word of truth. So verse 11, go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not. Okay, so he says this over and over again. So we want to preach the word. When do we preach the word? All the time. Yeah. This is also Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So we preach the word, whether it is um, popular or whether it is not popular in season and out of season under the, power. under the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is in for our time. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And we see that in spades right now. So, and then verse 15 then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Kibar at Tel Aviv, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. So after this vision, this was a vision. It says that right in chapter 1, the beginning. He comes out of his vision, and he sits there quiet for a week <laughs> where he was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, th that happened to Job. After Job had all these disasters fall on him, he sat there and his friends came and sat there in silence with him for a week. Uh, mourning is for a week. You know, it happened when they killed Saul. The men of Jabesh Gilead came and took his body and his son's bodies and came and burned them and buried their bones and uh, mourned him for a week. So this is mourning. Ezekiel is mourning for a week after hearing this. And it's irritating the people around him. He says he was causing consternation among his fellow exiles. So Ezekiel will cause a lot of consternation for these people. The Lord has him do all sorts. Consternation? I mean, irritated. They're irritated. They're ups they're, it upsets them. Okay, so now, anything else about this? It's a tough job the Lord's given him. Yeah, that's a, a title of honor, isn't it? It's a title both of honor and disgrace. Son of man. Honor and disgrace. There was something in the quarterly about that. Um, I think it was the quarterly. I'm not sure where I read it, but it's a title of honor because we're made in God's image. It's a title of disgrace because we're in Adam's image. Yes. And so it's both a title of honor and disgrace. Son of man. It's the generic man. 
it is the generic man. Yes, I know. It's the uh, uh, feministic age Rumi rubbing off on you there. It's okay. We forgive you. <laughs> no, it's the generic man, man and woman. Okay, section C is Ezekiel's warning. Can I get somebody to read 16 through the end of chapter 3? Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, so what do you see in this one? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's see if we can... We'll see if we can untangle it. So in verse 16, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, so he sat there without really speaking for a week. He didn't act on anything. And then God's word came to him again at the end of that time. So he did nothing until God spoke again. Jesus said this in John 5, 19, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So there is no points for originality as a Christian. Ezekiel sat and listened. He didn't do anything until he heard the word of the Lord again. Jesus didn't do anything on his own accord. He did only what the Father said to him. And so that is how we should be. We, that's why we need the word, because the word guides us. As the word guides us, that's how we go. We don't go on our own. And that's walking by faith, really. And that's how we get rewarded. So in verse 17, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. So he, Ezekiel was a watchman. He was responsible to warn of judgment. Warning preserves physical life during invasion. Okay? Because it's talking here about dying or not dying. And we immediately go to think about uh, eternal salvation. In this context, it's not talking about eternal salvation. It is talking about physical deliverance when the Babylonians come. When the Babylonians come, because that's what he's prophesying about. They have not come in the final wave yet. So Jerusalem is still standing and then he gives four examples of warning. When you say to the wicked, you will surely die. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak to warn the wicked. Okay, so there's a wicked person. Ezekiel doesn't say anything to him. It says he will die in his iniquity. So he will die when the Babylonians come. Since you did not warn him, Ezekiel, I will require his blood at your hand. So Ezekiel, if he fails to warn the wicked man, he is guilty of murder. That's putting a heavy burden on Ezekiel. He is guilty of murder if he does not warn him. Then the second example, if he warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, 
he will die because of his iniquity. But you have delivered yourself. Okay, if you warn, he ignores you, he dies, it's not your fault. If you don't warn him and he dies, you're guilty of murder. Ezekiel. So now, that would that motivate you <laughs> to, to warn? <laughs> yes, it would. Then he talks about the righteous man. Who is the righteous man? The righteous man, I'm thinking, is someone who is obedient to the Mosaic law. Because in Ezekiel's time, they were under the Mosaic law. Okay, so he is, you know, doing the best he can, and usually that is a saved person, a saved person. But he turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, even though he's righteous, if he is uh, sinning at the time the Babylonians come, the Lord will allow them to kill him. And Ezekiel will be guilty of murder for him if he has not warned him. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took your warning and you have delivered yourself. So in times of judgment, and we saw this you know, I'm, I'm getting things mixed up about when I saw this, but it uh, might have been on Facebook. <laughs> uh, wealth does not deliver from judgment. Wealth cannot save you in judgment. Righteousness can. And that is why we need Jesus' righteousness. And if we want physical protection, we want to act on that righteousness and that guidance that is given to us, and that will protect us physically. Uh, if we have Jesus' positional righteousness before God, and we're going to heaven, but we do not act on it, that will not protect us physically. We can be killed physically, and that's the sin unto death. The Lord will take you home. If you continue in sin without uh, growing after salvation, he will eventually allow physical death. So, um, um, and we want to honor the Lord. We love the Lord for what he's done to, to us. And so the best way to do that is to listen to him and uh, yield to what he would like with us. So verse 23 no, verse 22, the hand of the Lord was on me there. Remember, he was with his compatriots there beside the river Kibar at Tel Aviv when he got this word. And then the Lord told him to physically get up, go out to the plain, and I will speak to you there. So he went out to a plain. Nobody knows what plain this is. There are several plains around Babylon. It's in the Mesopotamian Valley between the Tigris and Euphrates. Remember, the Euphrates runs through Babylon. So he went to a plain out there. So I got up and went out to the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there, like the glory which I saw by the river Kibar, and I fell on my face. So he saw the throne, he saw the angels, he saw the wheels, and uh, all that sort of stuff, and it made him fall down again. And then again, the Spirit then entered me. So the Spirit had come before 
it left, comes again. Now, this is the Old Testament way of things with the Spirit. And made me stand on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go shut yourself up in your house. So the Lord is now placing some restrictions on Ezekiel. He's putting him under house arrest, basically. He does not want him to have fellowship with the other Jews in uh, Babylon. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. So this is a metaphor for the same sort of thing, house arrest. He is not to fraternize with the other Jews, to be separate from them. And uh, that happened to Jeremiah too. He was not to intermingle socially with the other Jews. And then verse 26, another restriction. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be mute and cannot be a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. So he will not speak. That's the only thing he will speak. He will not speak personally. So when he's not prophesying, he is mute. And God makes him mute. <laughs> He says, but when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, thus says the Lord God. So when Ezekiel speaks from now until the time of the fall of Jerusalem. So this is in 592. Jerusalem fell in 586. So what is that? That is uh, 92 and then it's counting down. So it's uh, six years. Six years. Yeah, it counts now. So for six years, the only time Ezekiel opened his mouth was when he was prophesying. And other than that, he was mute. So that's a harsh <laughs> thing for the prophet. Ezekiel had a rough time here. <laughs> yeah. So no private speech, only prophecy. And... Uh, then it says, he who, has, uh, he who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Jesus said that many times in uh, all of the letters to Revelation. At the end, he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. Yeah. Yeah, idolatry, gross idolatry, and that'll be all, all through this. He'll, he'll bring it up. He said the idolatry was worse than the pagan nations really? in Judah. Yeah. Yeah, at the time of their uh, the siege, Babylonian siege, Judah had fallen into sin worse than the nations around them. Wow. So that's the last that the quarterly went through. So let me quickly go through four chapters for you. We won't read it, but chapter four says this. So the Lord has Ezekiel uh, doing skits. So Ezekiel was take a brick and write the word Jerusalem on it and make a scale model of a siege uh, with uh, siege works and things around it. Then he was to lay on his left side, which would be causing him to face north toward the northern kingdom, for 390 days. 
then he was to turn on to his, you know, he, he, he could get up and eat and stuff. Probably daily for hours he would lay on his left side. And that was for the sin of Israel. A day for each year. And then he was to turn over and lay on his right side, which caused him to face south, 40 days for each year of the sin of Judah. So that's a total of 430 days of sin. And the commentaries that I saw did not know exactly what that correlated with. So I can't tell you what that correlated with. But 430 days with much more to the northern tribe, northern kingdom, uh, and 40 for Judah, to lay on his sides. During this time also, he's to have somebody put ropes on him, I'm assuming this is his wife, when he was laying there. Put ropes on him, tie him up. (laughs) Then he was to have starvation uh, rations, and cook them over human dung to eat. And that was to symbolize that Jerusalem will starve to death during the siege. And then he he uh, complained and said, Lord, I've never defiled myself. And the Lord said, okay, you can use cow dung instead of human dung because that's less, that's less nasty. And the Lord gave him that mercy. So that's chapter 4. Chapter 5 is another kind of skit. Ezekiel was to shave his head and his beard, collect the hair, and weigh it on a scale. And then he was to divide it into thirds. One-third he would go into the center of the city where he was living in Tel Aviv, I think, or maybe Babylon, and burn it, the hair. And that was to symbolize death by by famine in the city. One-third of the hair he was to go around the city and chop it with a sword. And that was to symbolize one-third of the population being killed by sword. And then one-third of his hair he was to scatter, and that one-third was to symbolize going into exile, the remaining population. And then a few were protected in his robe. And this is the remnant, the very few saved people. And here's where he talks about cannibalism in Jerusalem is prophesied. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 5 is an interesting verse. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. That center of the nations is the Hebrew word for navel, belly button. Jerusalem is the belly button of the world. Jerusalem is the center of the world. That is still true today. It is Jerusalem is the belly button, the navel of the world. Um, that's where God does his thing. So in chapter 6, he was told to prophesy to the mountains, to the ravines, and the valleys. These were places for idol worship. They would be destroyed, and those who worship at them would be killed. That's chapter 6. Chapter 7, 
Ezekiel said the end is coming over and over and over and over again. He said the end is coming, the end is coming, the end has come. Over again. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 2, Amos said the same thing concerning the northern kingdom just before the Assyrian invasion. It also says God will show no pity. Oh, and in chapter 7 is where it said that wealth will not deliver in the day of wrath. Only righteousness will deliver. And that is the end of our lesson. So, Lord, this is wild stuff, a lot of skits. We we thank you for Ezekiel. He was willing to do what you asked. You asked him to do some hard things. But he wrote it down for us, and now 2,600 years later, it is still useful to us. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.